Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. Appreciate that song so much. Most of us can sing it with him. And me and Leper were doing a good job backing him up. So uh, we're doing a great job. Let me say a couple things just as uh, kind of uh, just things is on my heart today. And uh, number one, uh, just remember no matter what happens next Tuesday, God is still God. God is still in control. And we just trust him. And the second thing, get out and vote. I can't tell you who to vote for because um, we lose our tax exemption, so they say. But I will say that one uh, candidate trumps the other. And so you have to make that decision. What, 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 what? Did I say something? Sorry. Uh, but I am saying that we, we have to vote according to this Bible. And, and get out there. If you haven't voted, make sure you vote. And, uh, and be in prayer. As a matter of fact, I, it, was, it was amazing how uh, today God was really burdening my heart about, uh, Brother Stewart had mentioned out at school, he said, uh, talked to all the, the students out there, he said, uh, pick a day uh, between now and next Tuesday and fast. And uh, man, I got under conviction. I was like, you know, that's, that's what we ought to do. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to change my message up tonight and preach on prayer and fasting. And I said, no, when I got, you know, I said, no, I don't want to do that. And but it was amazing how God directed me because the last verse we're going to get to tonight deals with that. And I was like, well, the Lord already knew what was going on way before I did. Uh, but we'll be in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And uh, just kind of giving you the context of what's happening here in Matthew chapter 16. If you're in my Sunday school class, you already kind of know this. Uh, we we're talking about the life of Peter and some of this overlay with the lesson, Sunday school lessons and some of it overlay with what I said last week. But... I think it needs some of this stuff needs to be repeated, and uh, so Jesus comes into uh, kind of on the scene here, and it starts really the the chapter with uh, Jesus there with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and of course the Sadducees and the Pharisees are never there to uplift Christ, and they were always there to find fault in Him and in His disciples. Uh, well, Jesus comes in and has them a few things to say about them, and you can read those there. But as he leaves the Pharisees, he comes into the area of Caesarea Philippi. And we'll see that here in verse 13. But uh, what was the important part about Caesarea Philippi? Well, Caesarea Philippi was an uh, area that was associated uh, with idol worship. And uh, with rival, and this, this is uh, straight from commentary, it says, and rival deities. So uh, there was a few things there. Number one, there was the Saharan Baal worship. Uh, Saharan bell worship was rampant in this area and also that there was a, a deep carved out cavern there that, uh, had a, that was said to be the birthplace of the god, little g, uh, god Pan, uh, P-A-N and he is, if you study the, the god Pan, it's, a, it's, it's very interesting and I, you know, there again I can just tell you what it says, you don't have to study it for yourself uh, he was a god of nature, matter of fact if you see a picture of him uh, he is uh, half goat and half some weird things. And uh, he's said to be the God of... Of course, it's amazing how when you start studying these false gods, all, all of them have a sensual connotation to them. 
Uh, isn't that amazing that they all have that connotation to them? Because that's what it all leads to is really uh, not only between uh, us and God have, being an adulterous retort, uh, but also physically. And so as you look at uh, these gods, but also there was a, a statue there uh, of Caesar and it said the Godhead of Caesar. Uh, there in Caesarea Philippi. So I, I want you to get kind of the picture. Jesus comes in, and, and if you study out Caesarea Philippi, it's kind of a white, kind of like in uh, around where I'm from there in Burnett. Uh, there's a lot of that white Austin stone, you know, and that white dust there. That's kind of, if you could kind of think in your mind of like the hill country with that white rock, that's kind of what you would see if you went to Caesarea Philippi, according to pictures. I've never been there myself. Uh, but if you want to send me, I am taking donations and I'll go for you. Amen? As a missionary representing you, my friends. Uh, but you, you, th- you see the backdrop here. So here, over here you have the Godhead of, Ces- of, of Caesar. Uh, you have a, a, a memorial or an, or an idol uh, to the Godhead of Caesar. Over here you have a, a carved out cavern into this mountainside that is a, a god that is called Pan. And, and you have to set it up. Just look at Wikipedia and I'm telling you, uh, it explains a lot about this god. Uh, but then also you have just all in this uh, city is the worship of Baal, the Sahendrian uh, part of the Baal worship. It was rampant uh, in this area. And so as we look, and in, in, in this city it was known for its uh, really the, the kind of a conflict between uh, no, our God is this, our God is this. It was a conflict of the little G gods. So as Jesus comes in on this scene, I want you to think about that as a backdrop. Look at verse 13. It says that when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So could you imagine, here he is amongst all these little g-gods, and he, he looks at his disciples and says, Tell me who others think I am. Well, they say, Well, there's some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and other Jeremiah, and, other, and one of, of, the, of the prophets. Then he saith unto them, I love this, Then he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Now, uh, up against this backdrop, by the way, it was a good thing that they said that, hey, they think that you're John the Baptist, or they they think that you're Elias or Elijah, or they think that you're Jeremiah. That, That was really kind of a compliment. That's not really negative toward Christ, even though he is the Son of God. But it was saying that the people outside said, hey, that he is... Either one of these, John the Baptist, or he's Elijah, or, uh, or one of these, or Jeremiah. But he said, I love how he pointed it to, uh, to the disciples and said, But whom say you that I am? And we'll, we'll look at this, verse 16. It says, And Simon Peter, the spokesman of the group, he was the leader, answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Tonight we, we, we started last week a uh, series on the subject of my disciples. Last week we kind of subtitled it, To Be or Not To Be. Are you a disciple or not? And there were some tests that we gave last week to see if you are a disciple. But tonight, uh, to be a disciple, I, I want us to focus on this thought. It's all about Him. 
And, and that's what Jesus is going to teach His disciples, that it's not about them. If you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, listen, you have to realize that it's all about Jesus Christ. When He was asking Peter, Who say ye that I am? He was saying, Peter, who is the God of this world? Who, who is, who is the, 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 the Jehovah? Who is the Messiah? And of course we know that Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So let's pray and then we'll get started into this message tonight. Father, we love you and we come humbly, uh, Lord, tonight before you. And Lord, as I bow and Lord, as I, my heart is bowed to you and my mind, my thoughts are bowed to you. Lord, may you use me as an instrument in your hands tonight. Well, Lord, I, I pray that you calm my mind and my, my nurse tonight as, Lord, I try to settle into this passage and God expound upon these things that you've laid upon my heart. Lord, I can't do that without you and without your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I yield myself. I yield any thought or anything I may want to say tonight. Lord, I yield it to you and to your will tonight. God bless your people as we listen to your word. And, Father, help us to be disciples tonight. Help us not to just stand on the sidelines of Christianity and, to, uh, Lord, not to participate into this uh, great race that you put us in. God, I pray that you would just help us tonight. And God, give us understanding of your word and conviction upon our hearts. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things tonight I want you to notice about this passage. Number one, there was a declaration on who Christ was. In verse 16, we see the declaration of who Christ is. It's very specific what he said. So look there with me, if you will, at verse 16. It says, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art... Now say the next word with me, class. Right? The Christ. You are the Christ, ever how you want to say it. But you, thou art the Christ. You are the Christ. What does that mean? That means very specifically that there is no other, that you are the Christ, that you, and, and that Christ meaning Messiah, that you're a very specific God. So when Peter said, thou art Christ, he's saying that you are very specific or that you are the only Messiah. Why was that important? Because remember the backdrop. People come into Caesarea Philippi, you can worship whatever you wanted to. If you like the God of this, you worship that God. If you like the God of this, by the way, it's, it's the way our world is today. Our world today, here's how people vote on what church they go to. Most of the time, but other than y'all folks here tonight and a few other of my friends. The rest of them are all, here's how we do it. We go, here's what I believe in my mind and my heart. Here's what I want for my kids and here's where I want to go to church. And then they find a church that matches that. Instead of going, well, here's what the Bible says. And here's what I'm looking for in the church. According to this. Not what little Johnny wants in a church. Look, when we go to church, my kids don't get a choice. Hello. I know that makes people mad. Now, I'm saying when your kids get older, maybe, maybe they does. But I'm saying as, as kids, I don't take my kids to a church. That, because you know what they're looking for? They're looking for a good slide. Hello. Some adults are too. <laughs> like, man, their swing set there is not ready for 250 pounds. We can't go there, honey. I can't get on the swings, right? I'm not 250 pounds. I'm just saying, you know, just throwing that out there. Uh, uh, yeah, thank you. But, you know, you, you think about, here, that's what people do. And, and so when they would come into Caesarea Philippi, they, they were saying, here's what I believe. And that's why in like the Hinduism and all this, there's... there's thousands upon thousands of gods that they worship and thousands of things that they worship and, and everything's a God. There's polytheism. They just believe in multiple multiples of gods. Why? Because, listen, if you don't like this God, then guess what? You, you go worship this God. If you don't like this God, you go worship this God. And when Peter looked at Christ and said, Thou art the Christ, 
He says, you're it. That's it. Notice the second thing that he, he, he's very specific. He says, not only thou art the Christ, he says, the Son, the Son. Li- listen, that, that is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God. Do you know why they hung Jesus on the cross? It's because he claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Son of God. And, and whenever Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son, he was being very, very specific and saying, listen, you are the only begotten of the Father. You are God in the flesh. When Jesus came on this scene, He was robed in flesh to become one of us so He could die for us. Notice what else He says. Look at that last part. I love this. Look, I, I, I'm just telling you, this, today whenever I, I, this finally got in my head a little bit more, I said, Amen. I may have said a little louder than that. There's nobody in the office whenever I sit, while I was studying this, so I said a little louder. But notice what he says, thou art the Christ, or the Christ, the Son, but here's what he says, the living God. Can you imagine Peter looking over the shoulders of Christ, and there's the Godhead of Caesar, there's the God, the shrine to God of Pan, and there's all the bell worship stuff, and, and you know what Peter's thinking? They all dead. They can't hear. They can't do anything. Uh, we, we already know Elijah proved that the God of Baal is dead and he can't hear. When he was up on top of Mount Carmel, or Carmel, whichever one, you, where you're from, I said Carmel for this point, but if I want a Carmel Sunday, I said a little different, right? Mount Carmel, he gets up on Mount Carmel and he calls down fire from heaven. Remember, he, he asked the, the, the ones there, the Baal worshippers, he said, well, call upon your God. And they called upon him. They cut themselves They hollered out, they cried, and guess what? Nothing happened. Why? Because he's a dead God. You know, Pan, he's a dead God. Uh, You you know, uh, Caesar, the Godhead of Caesar, so to speak, that's a dead God. Listen, there, there are people in this world today who would rather serve a dead God than a living God. You know why? Because that dead God doesn't tell you no. That dead God doesn't go, "Ah, ah." hello, hello, my God does. Whenever I go to step over the line, God goes, "Mm, mm, mm, mm." you know why? Because he loves me. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And trust me, I know he loves me. (laughs) Right? Every now and then when you feel that, oh, like, oh, he loves me. Maybe you don't say it right away. But after the, after the healing comes in, the healing balm of Gilead comes in, you go, oh, he loves me. That's all he does is love me. God cannot, you know what's good? Let me just insert this in here. I know pastor says a lot. Tomorrow when I make God mad, he's still going to love me. When I, whenever I, I make my God a, 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 a sad tomorrow, listen, he's still going to love me. Why? Because He's a living God. He is ever living. And He has always been living and He will always be living. He said, Whom say men that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Our Lord... Here's what, here's what Spurgeon said. Let me read this to you if you don't believe me. Here's what Spurgeon said. He said, Our Lord presupposes that His disciples would not have the same thoughts as men had. 
they would not follow the spirit of the age and shape their views by those of the culture, persons of the period. Can I read that again? Because that's what's happening in our world today. The reason people say, well, the old time religion doesn't work. I don't really, I don't like to say the old time religion because it's not a real religion. I like to say the old time relationship. Hello? I like, I like just the Bible. It's not an old time Bible. It's just a Bible. Because it's an ever living Bible. See, people today, they shy away from, from the truths of God's word and, and, and its pre, uh, precepts and principles. You know why? Because, of, well, we live in a different society today. Don't you think God's smart enough to know that we were going to live in a different society? God didn't just write it for one century. The first century church, he didn't just go here, first century church, I got you. Oh, there's a second century now. What am I going to do with them? No, this is an ever-living word. That's good for all generations. Isn't it amazing that the things that are happening very much today, he said what's going to happen. You know, I don't turn on the news. I literally don't turn on the news. But I don't turn on the news and go, I can't believe this is happening in our world today. I just go, Waiting for the trumpet. Could be tonight, people. Eat all you can. The rapture could happen tonight. You keto people are going to go up in heaven going, Man, I sure am hungry. (laughs) While I'm eating that fresh roll, mm, all the keto people are crying. They get to the Lord's Supper and be like, Lord, I cannot have that. I'll be like, I can I am not, I'm just kidding. If you're on keto diet, God bless you. You're losing weight and I'm not, so. To be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, listen tonight, to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, there has to be a declaration in your heart that you know who Jesus Christ truly is. You say, well, I'm saved. No, I'm not just saying. It was amazing to me when I got saved that I knew what Jesus did for me without really knowing everything about him. I just put my faith in that what he did was good enough for me. And as I grow in Christ, and, and I was saved at the age, uh, in 1994, um, I was saved. And, and all these many years later, it's amazing how much more I know about Christ and how much I've studied through the Bible and I still don't know anything. But it's amazing how Christ has become so much more real to me. I was going to say realer. More real to me than ever before. Every time I read the Bible, I go, Wow. I tell, I tell my classes sometimes at Norris, it's amazing when you read the Old Testament now and you go, I see Jesus. He's in the Old Testament. He's on every page. He, as, as I begin to see the sacrifices, as I begin to see the tabernacle, and I begin to see how Moses was a picture of Christ, Joshua was a picture of Christ, I go, wow. Every morning when we wake up, we must make a declaration that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And then the second thing that has to happen to be a disciple, it's all about him, remember, that we must make a declaration on who Christ is. But number two, in this story we see that there was the depravity of life for Christ's life. In other words, there had to be a giving up of one, and I mentioned this last week, and we're going to go in a little more detail tonight, but there has to be a, a giving up of my life in order for Christ's life to come through my life. So there is a depravity of life to his life. Notice what Peter said, and we read this before. But notice, if we will, chapter 16, and, and go down, if you will. We'll just uh, start in on verse 24. The Bible says in verse 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, 
if, by the way, it's a condition. You don't have to be a disciple. Uh, if you're saved, you don't have to be. But God wants you to be. But he says, if any man will come after me and let him, look at there, he says, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Notice that wording, deny himself. I looked up the word deny, uh, and here's what the strong says. It says this. It says, deny means to forget oneself. I love this part. It says to uh, lose sight of oneself and one's interest. Let me read that again. To forget oneself, lose sight of oneself and one's own interest. In other words, when you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's no longer about you. It's no longer about you. It's all about Jesus Christ. Go down to verse 25. He says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Isn't it amazing that the things that God says in his word are opposite of what we think? See, God says that the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And see, that's, that's backwards to our way of thinking. When you look at something uh, and you see a line of people, God turns that around and says the last one is actually the first. You know why? Because God's looking for the servants. God's looking for those who are willing to deny themselves and those who are willing to give of themselves in order to be his disciple. In Luke chapter 5 verse 11, Jesus calls his disciples and the Bible tells us that when Jesus called them is that the Bible says they forsook all and followed him. They just left it. You know why? Because they were willing to deny themselves. They, they were making a, a, a statement of that we're, we're going to deprive ourselves of ourselves, but yet we're going to follow Jesus Christ. Many want to follow Jesus but not many want to forsake all. And that's true with me, you, and everybody, right? And, and just to be honest with us, it changes from day to day. Right? There, there's sometimes, and listen, I know great people, and I know myself, who take that step of faith and go, whoa. Right? You, you kind of, matter of fact, it just, I keep going back to this because we're studying the life of Peter. Some of us are like Peter. We're like, Jesus is out there on the, on the water and, and the water's going whoosh, whoosh. And Jesus is just standing there going, Peter, come here. Peter says, hey. He said, yes, come. And Peter goes, okay. Whoo. He's like, I, if Jesus calls me out, I'm going to do it. And the Bible says, and Peter, seeing the wind was boisterous, began to sink. Beginning to sink. Right? That sometimes in our life we set out, yeah, we, we want to follow Christ, but sometimes we're not willing to forsake all. Can I say that nothing we have is worth keeping? Nothing temporal that we have is worth keeping in order to serve and follow an eternal God. You're not going to get to heaven and, and you're going to go, oh man, sure I'm glad I bought all this stuff with me. Somebody said there's no... Uh, there's no U-Haul behind a casket or the hearse, right? There, there's no storage in the casket except in mine. I've got something planned for mine. I ain't going to give it away tonight because it's a little creepy, but <clears throat> not, not too bad. But Even in death, I want to be funny. You say, well, that's morbid. Don't come to my funeral. We don't want you there anyway if you're going to be a, a whiny head, right? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. There's going to be an offering plate, so I do need you there. <laughs> right? My arm's going to swing out like this, you know. 
You know the hardest person to say no to? Me. Ain't that amazing? You know why, you know why it's hard to say no to ourselves? You know, it's easy sometimes to say no to your kids or say no to your wife or no to your friends or something like that. And sometimes you've got to do that. But it's hard to say no to ourselves. You don't want to know why? Because sometimes our flesh rules our life. Sometimes we don't feed the Spirit like we should. Let me give you the last thing tonight. And this is, this is really what my thought was is where I wanted to go. I, I want you to go over, well, look if you will. He talks about in the last part of verse 24. We'll just talk about that follow me. He says, follow me. They forsook all and they followed him. He said, take up your cross and follow me. And he says that whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus says, look, you follow me. I will take care of you. I, the last thing tonight in, in this chapter that we see and also in chapter 17 we're going to look at is that there was a dependence upon Christ. There was a dependence upon Christ. He said, follow me. Listen, when the disciples left their boat, they left their livelihood. They left the very thing that, that got them money, that, that, that supported their families, that, that was their livelihood. That was the very thing that they left. How in the world could they have left their boats and left their nets just laying there and followed Jesus because they were totally dependent upon Jesus Christ? Sometimes the disciples had a little relapse in faith, and we'll see that in chapter 17 here in just a second. Uh, but one thing Jesus always told him, he said, Take no thought of what you shall take for tomorrow, nor script, nor anything. He says, Why? Because I'm, a, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Because I'm going to take care of you. He says, You have a need, I'm going to meet it. Amen. It's easy to say that God will take care of you when you got everything. But when you ain't got nothing... You better have faith. He said, follow me. Notice if you will over in chapter 17. I want you to notice what Jesus says here in verse 14. He says, and when they were come to the multitude. So there was a multitude that gathered out there. And uh, after six days, see Jesus takes his disciples there. And he, uh, the Mount Transfiguration there. But it comes in verse 14. There's a multitude that came to him. A certain man kneeling down and, uh, to him saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. Uh, I love this. He's a lunatic. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Right? And sore vexed, for oftentimes he fell, falleth into a fire and often into the water. I mean, this kid was off his rocker. You want to know why? Because he's full of a devil. That's what happens here. It says, and he brought him to his disciples, and they could not cure him. Could you imagine, I, 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 there again, reading the rest of the scripture, I think what happens sometimes to the disciples happens to Christians. We kind of get that God complex in our heart. And the disciples, you know, they, they had seen God do some things. They, they had, uh, God had given them some authority. Matter of fact, he had told Peter in that very same chapter 16, he said, I give unto thee the keys to the kingdom. In other words, you have the very gospel that will open up the kingdom to the Jews and to the Gentiles. He said, Peter, the gates of hell shall not prevail against thee or against the church and, and not against Peter. Well, if he's part, he's part of the church, so it doesn't prevail against him. He says, look, I have set up a defense system. I am your God and I will be with you. And sometimes I just think in my mind that the disciples walk around going, hey, I'm with Jesus. We're with him. I believe Jesus had left them alone and they're out there and here comes this lunatic kid and 
for some reason, this is not in the scripture, but I just think Peter said, boys, watch this, I got this one. Abracadabra. My wand's broke. Not Ron Regas, but my wand. <laughs> boom, boom. Oh, no, it didn't work. You know what happened? They go to the master. Say, look, your disciples couldn't, couldn't heal me, my son. You know what Jesus says unto them? Look at verse 17. He, Jesus said, uh, Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation. By the way, he had just called Peter Satan. Jesus is a truthful guy, isn't he? Because he cannot lie. He says, Satan, get, behind, get thee behind me. Peter was acting, when he tried to correct the Lord in chapter 16, he was acting like Satan. He was speaking on behalf of Satan. And here he's calling them a faithless and perverse generation. He said, how long will I be with you? Look, guys, I left you alone for one minute, and here you are. You couldn't even heal this one kid. And God had given them that authority. He says, how long will I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? In other words, how, how long is this going to go on? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him and the child was cured from, every, uh, from that very hour. They came as disciples, they got questions. Jesus apart and said, um, why couldn't we do that? You know what I think they were thinking in their mind? Lord, what's the, what's the recipe here? What, what did we do wrong? I love how Jesus says this, look. Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Could you imagine how they went... Us? But we're walking with you, Lord. See, they forgot to depend upon the God who had the power to do the healing. Sometimes we trust in our own self. Going down, notice what he says. He says, because of your unbelief, for verily I say to you, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain remove money out of kids' car seats and couches and everything else, right? Just because you wanted a Dairy Queen blizzard. Some things are worth fighting for. But I'm telling you, what can happen in our life is that we can get our eyes off of God and our faith can dwindle so quick. Faith comes by hearing here by the Word of God. Listen, you miss your Bible reading, you miss church, you miss your Bible reading, you miss church, guess what happens to your life? Your faith dwindles. And it happens so fast. He said, nothing shall be impossible unto you. I love how he puts a how be it in verse 21. This kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. You know, sometimes we got to go beyond. Sometimes in our dependence upon Christ, we must prove our dependence upon Him. And how do we prove that dependence upon Jesus Christ? We prove that dependence upon Him by on our knees in prayer. And sometimes it's removing some things from our life that we can uh, spend time with Him fasting and praying. And, and sometimes we have to get so serious. Listen, I think this is probably in my years of living, almost 44 years of living on this earth, I believe this is the most uh, just important election there has been. And we can't just, just say, well, whoever wins, wins. We, no, we, we got to get on our knees as a church. That's what's wrong with the world now. The church has just said, well, they're going to do what they want to do. No, listen, God's going to do what He wants to do. 
And we had to put our faith in Him and dependence upon Him and, and fall down on our knees and saying, listen, this is worth praying over. This is worth fasting over. And, and show our dependence upon God. Listen, the world out there needs to see that we're depending not on President Trump or, Pre or whoever the other candidate may be. Biden, there it goes. My, my faith's not in them. My dependence is not on them. I, the, uh, the, same, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Notice what he says last. He says, for without me you can do nothing. That's it. If you don't have God and you're not depending upon Him, listen, you, you can try to cast out this. No, you can't do that today. But you know what I'm saying is that the disciples were trying to do it in the flesh. And guess what? That never works, does it? You try to do the work of God in the flesh and guess what? Listen, I'm falling on it. Somebody said, I heard this the other day on humbleness. This is a great one. He said that the, the eyes leak so the brain won't swell. When's the last time you when's the last time you wept over a soul being saved? Let's stand tonight. Heads. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org